Alright, so it's been a while since I've taught, so uh, might be a little bit of rust. I gotta knock off the chain for this thing, so uh, I'm asking for a little bit of grace. If, uh, yeah, there you go. If, uh, if, uh, if I kind of booger it up a little bit tonight. But, um, so, so putting this lesson together, this lesson's been on, on my heart to do for quite a while, probably nine months or so, really when all the COVID stuff hit and you start seeing, you know, you, this, what this really did is it brought, it really revealed a lot in a lot of people. Um, it, it revealed whether you were a graceful individual, graceless, or it grew you, one of the two. And really uh, trying to put this thing together was, uh, you know, I had a, I was going to do some, I was going to do a PowerPoint with some memes on it. And then I realized that they were going to be memes from movies that you guys have probably never seen. So that would have been a total flop. You guys would have seen them. One of them was from Goodfellas. So that probably would have definitely not went over. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was like, all right, that's a crash and burn. And I like doing the anonymous surveys with you guys because it gives us, uh, if we give you a scenario to, you know, how would you handle this type of survey? I was afraid, you know, I started thinking like, eh, that's too gender specific. That question, somebody might have all worked through and that might have been too personal. And I'm just like, you know what, forget it. So luckily not because I didn't know that we were doing a survey for, for that. So that would have taken up too much time anyhow. So the way this came together is just, it's, it just kind of came together simply. And really after going through this, we could dig so much deeper and into grace and mercy and the goal of this lesson is just to make you think okay it's to take a self-evaluation at the end to determine if there is pride in the way that needs dealt with if it's prohibiting you from loving others and being merciful and graceful it is not directed at anybody personally in here whatsoever okay but it might feel like that because this this subject, these topics, this characteristic is personal to me because it was a huge struggle for me after getting saved. And I'll share a little bit more with that as we get into this. So uh, coming off uh, the last factor of Bible study that we studied a few weeks ago, the maturity factor, um, I think, and this is my opinion, uh, that this is one of the biggest struggles that we do have as believers. This is not... Um, it's, it's, it's a struggle for myself, but I think for others, as I get to know them and talk with them, I believe that having being merciful and graceful can also be a very natural trait for some people as well. For me, it's, it's been a learned process because I process things in a very black and white manner. I've had to learn to adapt to gray areas and try to work within that. So, um, and I'll expound upon that a little bit more as we go. So, on your sheet... Uh, one of the biggest takeaways from 2020 uh, that the Lord clearly wanted us to learn uh, from all the craziness with COVID and the cancel culture, etc., is that grace is a necessary characteristic to have ready at arm's length at any given moment towards family, friends, fellow Christians, and especially the lost. And that can be difficult especially when we're dealing with the lost. Because 
they're going to do things, and us as believers, we're going to look at them and go, what are you doing? And then you got to remind yourself, okay, they don't know Christ. They don't understand these things. So you got to give them some grace. But before, after I got saved, and I'd see how, how you know, certain people behave at certain things or react to certain situations, I'd be like, you're a fool. You know, I'd be like, put you over here. I want nothing to do with you. And that's what I would do. I would box people up. I didn't bother giving them. I wasn't merciful toward them. I wasn't graceful toward them. That's how I was. And I still have to be careful because I can still be that way. And I'll get into how that changed over time. So, um, this is without question, it comes with maturity and maturing over time. So you guys, at the age that you're at, this is something that you're really starting to get a grasp on and working with it. So these don't just flip with a switch. Okay, again, some it might, most it doesn't. So grace. The word grace occurs 170 times in 159 verses throughout our King James Bible. Mercy, Say that again. yeah, 170 times in 159 verses for grace. And mercy occurs 276 times in 261 verses. So, it might be important. But I'm also thankful that it's in our Bible that many times. So, what is grace and mercy, and do we really understand them? Because a lot of times we're throwing those terms interchangeably around. And it's like, okay, well, which one's which? So, I thought it might help for us to kind of break that down. So, looking up the definitions of these, in the 1828, they were about that long. And I'm like, that's not going on the sheet. So... I was like, I just left it blank, so if you want to make notes with, with regard to the definition or look it up yourself at some point, you know, obviously you can knock your socks off. But this is what I, I, pared, I parsed it down a little bit. And um, so Mercy had quite a few definitions that stood out, but this is what I took. It says that benevolence, mildness or tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. That can be tough because there's some things that some people do and you just want to bring the hammer. Am I right? A woman. <laughs> oh, I, I should be clear. I'm changing all that. My... Uh... Okay. How are you identifying today? <laughs> All right. Hey, keep this keep this under control. All right. So so anyway, that that's that was one of the definitions with this. So so check this out. So in the sense, in this sense, there's perhaps no word. This is straight out of the 1828. This is not my words. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion, and clemency, but exercised only towards offenders. 
Mercy is a distinguished attribute of the Supreme Being, and that's capitalized, so a reference to God. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. That's meaning you still have judgment. There might be mercy on you, but you most might still face a judgment with that. He is a righteous judge, and that's referencing Numbers 14. So grace. Grace, appropriately, the free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from Him. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. And that's referencing Romans 11. And obviously that's in a reference to salvation as well. So, get this down. This is one thing that I definitely wanted to point out when it comes to these two terms and how they work. There's an underlier to these. The core driver behind having mercy and grace is love. It's love. You can't be merciful and graceful towards somebody if you're not if if you struggle with love. And that might be tough because if you're like me and you came from a a, a hard home, a loveless home, that even has to be learned. So I had a lot, I'm not crying a river here, but I had a lot of odds stacked against me. And I'm not going to go into how my home life was. I've talked about it before, and I'm, I'm always an open book to share that. But it had an adverse effect on, it's what made me black and white, I believe, in a lot of respects. So um, there's something else I was going to share with that, and it, I'm 42 and it's catching up with me. So the other three, uh, so the other definitions that follow along with this is, um, yeah, my other note that I have with that is you have to love, you have to have a love for people. Even when they are at their worst, if they have done you wrong, etc. Because that's, that's tough. I struggle, I'm struggling with that right now because of my job when I got let go from camp. Because I think there was some politics involved there and I'm pretty sure I knew who the players were. And I really got to guard my heart toward those people because it's like I, I, I want to roll out to your house and flatten your tires. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the lightest thing I would do. So I got to watch it. I really got to watch my heart when it comes to people because I got to remind myself that Christ died for them and they are most likely lost. So I got to check myself when it comes to that. And so do you. So the last of these, favorable influence of God, divine influence, or the influence of the Spirit in renewing the heart and restraining from sin. My grace is sufficient for thee, referencing 2 Corinthians 12. And the application of Christ's righteousness to the sinner. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that's from Romans 5. So, what's the difference between the two? Got all that to come into this. So I pulled this off of Christianity Today, which for whatever reason it seemed to really define it well. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with that? So mercy, mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. In his mercy, God does not give us punishment we deserve, namely hell, while his grace, God gives us the gift we do not deserve, namely heaven, and then I like, okay, yeah, there's heaven, but I cross that out as salvation. Heaven's a reward. 
But salvation is what he, what he gives us. But that's the difference. Does that make sense? So, for an example, you might say, well, I'm in high school. If I'm going to be merciful towards somebody, who am I going to be mer- who's, who's under me? Who am I going to be merciful to? How many of you serve in a children's ministry? Do you serve in a children's ministry? Do you have younger brothers, younger sisters? They do stuff. They mess with your stuff. They screw up. Or you're working with these kids down the hallway and they do silly things or whatever. And you're just like, ugh. You know, they kind of annoy you. They frustrate you or whatever. And you got to correct them. But you're like, I mean, are you going to bring the hammer on them? Depending on their age. Or are you going to be like, all right, got to figure out how I'm going to handle this kid. Because you might have a kid that's autistic. You know, and he's acting out in a certain way. And you're like, okay, got to dial it back. But it's my responsibility for these kids. So... That's, that's an act of mercy. When you are holding the, the, the gavel, so to speak, of how you're going to interact with somebody that you have authority over. And that's essentially how God is with us. He's merciful toward us. Whereas grace, grace is just something, it's more peer-based. It's something that's, that's given. It's something you consider in a situation. You're like, okay, I need to go and handle, I need to address this this way. Does that make sense? Does that make sense at all, or am I kind of losing you? Okay. So, why all the one-on-one on this? In my personal observations, and I'm going to preface that I don't... Some of the stuff I don't want to say, I don't want to say it. I'll just say that. But I've been working through this, and it's going to get said. So, my personal observations, in this past year, my personal experience, and situations that I've had to work through with some folks, having grace and mercy does not seem to be a collective trait shared these days. And I'll go as far to say is also with, within our church and the body of believers. And that's from conversations that I've had with people who have experienced people being, other brothers and sisters, being not so graceful with them. And uh, that also goes to say for you know lost folks in that, So to go on, this past year has brought out either the good or the ugly in people when it comes to grace and mercy, namely in the public eye of Democrats, socialists, or Republicans. There is a lot of ugly on both sides, but it's been very revealing. When you get down to it and you start getting to know people, like we've gotten to know family members through this, we're like, oh, you're more like that now. Okay, so how am I going to handle them? I have to err on the side of grace. So you scroll through social media briefly and look at any of this. You know, it, again, going back, grace has been stretched to the limit within our own church when it comes to, to how things have been dealt with with COVID. Some people have a very different uh, approach to it. It's, it's a very touchy topic for a lot of folks. And that can spread in to, to other people, and it just it can really kind of turn into its own sickness in and of itself with relationships and straining friendships and so forth, and really straining service to God, straining service within the local church because of the lack of that, that grace. So the enemy, bottom line, is he wants division. He wants division. He wants turmoil within the church. And he has, and he's had some victories in that, but at the end of the day, he loses the war. 
We've got a book that tells us the end, the beginning and the end, and he's going to lose the war. But all these things are in the middle, and we have to we have to endure. We have to endure hardness as good soldiers. Jesus Christ, Second Timothy three. Okay, we have to find grace with one another, or we will continue to pick each other apart until there is no more meat left on the bone. And that's exactly what he wants. We can't let that happen. So I'm not saying that that's happening. All together in this church. I'm not saying that it's some sort of rampant problem. It's, it's, I don't even believe it's a problem in this ministry, okay? So that's what I'm saying. Don't take this stuff personally, what I'm saying. This is preventive. This is, uh, this is preventive, and it's, it's to cause you to make you think so we're avoiding these things. So we don't get into arguments with each other and get into fights with each other over petty stuff, and we just keep picking and picking and picking and picking and going and going and going, and there ain't nothing left. And then it spreads to other people. And now, now, instead of just doing a preventive lesson, we're running damage control, if we're lucky. Does that make sense? So I want to be clear with that. I don't think that's a problem here, but I want you guys to be aware of what could be. And we can avoid that. Whoa, I don't want that to do that. Hold up. This thing started pulling a keyboard up and all kinds of other junk. So I'm going to try to... I'm going to try to get this, you know, share what I can share quickly here. Go to Genesis 1 while, you're, while I'm talking. Um, so my personal experience, shortly after getting saved, you know, I saw things very black and white, as I, as I mentioned. And that came from that I was, I was hanging around some co-workers uh, that went to another Baptist church up in the Summit County area. And um, they were very legalistic. And it was sad because they saw things in a very black and white lens. They shared the, the gospel. They were... They were they were strong to evangelize, and you know they loved the King James Bible and that. But man, the one element that they were missing was love. They were not the most loving group. They were not the most expressively loving group, and they they lacked having mercy and grace towards people. And that, sadly, knowing the po- the people that I knew from that church, they some of them had their marriages implode. Ultimately, that church imploded. And, and now that, that group is scattered. I still keep in contact with some of them. One of them is actually, he's, he's stayed steadfast in his walk. He's a pastor of a church up in the Akron area. Um, in fact, I need to reach out to him again. It's been a while since him and I spoke. Um, but the rest of them had significant turmoil because a lot of it laid with this very black and white mindset that they had with regard to... Um, being Baptists or being in their church. You know, I won't even want to say, you know, they really understood having a relationship with God. They didn't have discipleship. But I, I learned I couldn't hitch my wagon to that. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me is why I just couldn't, like, you know, commit to their church or commit to this. I was just like, man, something's not right. And ultimately, God led me through discipleship and so on and so forth. And here I am. Here we are. But another experience that I had that, uh, a longtime friend of mine from high school. Um, you know, we, we lost contact with each other. He moved, and then I moved. And, uh, you know, he did his thing for a while, and his social media got us reconnected again. And uh, actually, him and I spend a fair amount of time together, you know, periodically. I did a fix his computer here recently. But um, he, had a, he had a daughter early on and got married early on. And uh, so uh, one night he calls me up. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing? I'm like, Doing my thing. He's like, man, if I come up and shoot some pool? I'm like, all right. Normally when I know I'm getting a phone call from him like that, I'm like, okay, something's weighing on his mind. So he comes up, we're shooting pool. He starts laying out, he goes, my wife and I are getting divorced. I'm like, oh, okay. 
So, he, I mean, he just, I just let him talk. That's one of the things about having grace and mercy with people. You let them talk. Just listen. Don't be the repairman. Don't be like, oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do that. Just shut up. Let them talk. So he goes on. He tells me how their marriage fell apart and, you know, all these things that went on. And uh, then he goes on. He, he, he throws a cherry on top of this. He says, I'm also really in love with so-and-so, and we're in a relationship, and she's married still. I'm like, oh, okay. Then he, then this is where it really threw me. He goes, he goes. So you're probably gonna write me off, right? I stop. Wait a minute. I said, stop right there. Well, what do you mean? He goes, you know, I know you don't. I mean, I know what you believe. You know, you've talked with me about this before. He goes, I know you're not gonna approve of this. I'm like, no, I'm not. I said, I said, but. That's not going to stop me from being your friend. Like, I'm not going to stop caring about you as an individual. I said, if, I said, do I agree with what you're doing? No. Do you need me to stand here and tell you that you're being an idiot? I was like, because I could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, and I said that to him. I said, you th- I said, I could stand here and call you an idiot and, and ream you up one side and back down the other, but explain to me what that's going to do. Nothing. I will lose a friend that I've had for 25 plus years, however long I've been out of high school. Ninety-five. Him and I met in 95. You do the math. I'm too old for it. But anyway, I value our friendship. And, you know, him and I talk regularly, and I I never filleted him for it, and I'm not going to fillet him for making a bad decision. He's still involved with this relationship. He's just... He's a good friend of mine, but man, his whole life, he's just, his normal is drama. And it's not just little drama. He does it like nobody else I know. He does it big. So I just, I'm just, I just try to be there for him. I just try to be there for him. So, do we really think we have a grip on it? Or that we really fully exhibiting this as, you know, are we exhibiting this? Are we showing this out as an obvious characteristic that shows as our personality trait? Now, I'm not trying to sit here and say that I'm Captain Graceful, because I'm not. (laughs) I'm certainly not. Not a graceful dancer either, if you really want some ugliness there. No, I'm not going to bust any moves. But anyway, does this show as a personality trait? out on display? Do people know you as being a graceful individual? Do they know that, you know, they know that you don't have this hard edge about you that they can approach you? They find you approachable. So, getting into what the Bible says about this, and I, we could, this could just go on. I just kind of systematically started from the, from chat from Genesis and I realized after just getting through a few of these, because it doesn't necessarily mention grace and mercy within these verses, but you find them. My goal is that I found where God was graceful. I found where God was merciful, and I just picked those out. And this is just kind of what came from it. So Genesis 1, read verse 31 somebody. Pick it. You prayed. I'm going with a girl, Emily. Boffman, you had your hand up first. I thought you did. Who had your hand up? Was it your neighbor? All right. You got 131? No, not now. I'm going with her. I'm going the other Emily. All right, 131. Go ahead. 
Behold, it was very good. Okay? He's looking at over all this creation. I'm not going to get into a lot of the details. I mean, a lot of this stuff is familiar. But he looks at it, and it's very good. Okay? So God says it's very good. He's pleased with everything he says. Think about, for yourself, think about when you accomplish something major, when you've crossed a significant finish line in your life, or a major goal. You have a serious satisfaction, right? You're like, yeah. That's sweet. Well, that's what the Lord God of heaven did. He's looking at all this. It's like, I'm very pleased with this. I'm very pleased. Now, go to Genesis 6.6. Check this out. I've never ran across this until I was putting this together. Pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. So, everything we had from chapter 1 up to chapter 6, you know, people multiplying, you got a lot, you know, it's, popul- it's populated now, okay? There's a lot that's been taken away, especially in chapter 6. You've got the sons of God who are procreating with, with the daughters of men, and there's unpure bloodlines, and it's just it's a mess. It's an absolute train wreck of a mess now, and that is by man's own doing, by God giving us a free will, and here we are. Somebody read verse 6. 6-6, six, six. Carson. And repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And it grieved him at his heart. We went from Genesis one thirty one, where he is very pleased, to ver- to Genesis six six. It's a complete one hundred and eighty degrees. It's sad. When you get down to it, he gave us the free will. He gave us dominion. From back in back in the first chapters, and he let us go. We're a unique creation. Created in his image, after his likeness. And this is where they land in 6.6. It's crazy. So from creation to God's satisfaction, most of creation, he could have hit the reset button. Ultimately, he does. But judges how they will now live their lives as they multiply, as they multiply to command it. And God also lets them keep their dominion from chapter 1 and 28. So 6 and... And I got chapters 1 through 13, but I want to try, or not chapters, but verses 1 through 13. Kind of wanted to cut that down. So I'm just going to go through my notes. So God watches his creation in which he was well pleased via sin and other means and actions have no regard for him anymore. They're stiff necked. Okay? They're stiff necked people. And, uh, and they're wicked, they're unpure, as, as I already mentioned, and he repented him of this creation. He has, he has no mercy left for him. And after watching his corruption and wickedness run rampant, he had been graceful with these people up until now, up to this point, all but for Noah. Noah was perfect. He had a, a pure bloodline. And in verse 6, say, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's very familiar. But it still shows that despite everything that was going on, God still is merciful, even if it's the one individual. Our God of hope shows us this bright spot and Noah, despite all the darkness that surrounds in chapter 6, the hardness of the people, the pending flood judgment to come. It repented God. It repented God of all this. He was, about, you know, he, was, he was out of mercy and grace, well beyond extension, if measured by our short-tempered human standards. I mean, if you would have saw this going on, I mean, we see the things that are going on around us now. And you're just like, I'm ready to press the button. I had to press the button a long time ago. But our God is long-suffering. And He was long-suffering then. He's long-suffering now. That ultimately judgment had to come. 
think about every time, and that's what I was trying to illustrate with this. And then um, Moses and the breaking of the tablets in Exodus 31, 18. And uh, saw his paraphrase, you know, he, he's up on Mount Sinai, God writes the tablets out for him, brings them down. You know, God wrote him with his own finger. He comes down, he finds the people, you know, they got the golden calf, Aaron makes his calf, and, you know, they're opening up and having a good time, and they're, you know, they're worshiping this golden calf. And in this time, Moses in 32, 7 through 14, I'm going to go there. Exodus 32, 7 through 14, we'll try to get through this. Because it's kind of, it's kind of key to point this out. And the, Lord God, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down from thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of, Israel, of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen his people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone... Catch this. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and, and I, will make thee, uh, I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought, this is bold, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth, thou, why, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a great mighty hand? Interesting conversation here. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? He's basically saying, You're going to, so you brought them out to slay them anyway. So basically he's saying it's going to make the Egyptians look like they've got the upper hand. So it's an interesting conversation that's going on here. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. He's merciful yet again. He's merciful toward them. He didn't have to be. So think about just in these two examples, and then the rest of the examples through the Old Testament. This book would be a mess. People do this. Sin, 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 sin. Reset. Judgment. More people. Sin, 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 sin. Reset. Judgment. I mean, this, this book, I mean, it would be totally different. But I'm thankful that it's not. I'm thankful that it's complete. I'm thankful that we can trust it. I'm thankful that we can learn from these things. And lastly, prodigal son, turn to Luke 15. We're going to look at this. Again, this is all familiar stuff, but I want to pick the devotional pieces out of it. Luke 15. I might just have to paraphrase it for time because we're just about... Yeah. 
So we're familiar with this story about this certain man. So this is not a parable. Just like Luke 16 about Lazarus and the man, the rich man who are in hell. It's a certain man, so this isn't a parable. But what if the father's reaction? So we know the end, we know it goes on. This, you know, the son takes his inheritance, he goes and he blows it on everything, women partying, whatever. He blows it all. I mean, the guy's eating out eating out of hog trough. He's at the bottom of his he's at the bottom of the bottom. But he comes home. He comes home. And his dad welcomes him back. And I can tell you, a lot of families, if there was a son or another child that did this, they blow town with what they were supposed to get, and they, they tear it up like they did, and they come back crawling, a lot of people are, a lot of parents are going to be like, they're not going to be graceful. They're going to be merciless. They're, they're going to be merciless on them. You know? I mean, they're going to be like, you know, like the old man, get off my lawn. What are you doing here? Get out. And I don't know you no more. It's sad because there's a lot of families that are like that. However, his dad embraces him. His dad welcomes him back. They throw a welcome back party for him, essentially. However, the dad doesn't get off the hook too easy. He's got a jealous, jealous son, the brother, at the end of the story here. His brother's boo-hooing about his other brother getting his party and getting the best meat and all this. And, you know, and he's like, I've been the obedient son. I've been the good one. And in Luke, and in, uh, I think it's in, uh, in 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatty calf. He's boohooing about this. He says, he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. He's like, you're worried about the party. Look at the bigger picture. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. That's a merciful dad. I'd really have a struggle if one of my kids did that, if they really went way wayward. We've got people in our family that that are the black sheep of the family. I think just about every family has black sheep, and they're hard to deal with. They're hard to be graceful toward. So going over this it was a reminder to me, especially as my kids are getting older. You know, I'm praying that my kids aren't like that. I'm praying that they don't make poor decisions like this. But how's my reaction going to be if they do? How's your reaction going to be if it ever comes to that point in time for you guys? So I want to leave it on that note. Be like the dad in this. Grace and mercy is a learned process. It takes time, but thank the Lord we've got a book that we can learn from. There's so many different stories. That's just a few. You can keep working through this. They're all over in here. I heard it. Supposedly some pastor some time ago said, there's no grace in the Old Testament. 
There's grace in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. And that's all I got.